Hello, and welcome to the CDO Magazine interview series. I'm Chris Ner, Chief Digital Officer of Synity, a world leader in enterprise data software, and we're partnering with Chief Data Officer, CDO Magazine, MIT CDO IQ, and the International Society of Chief Data Officers to bring you a series of interviews with thought leaders in data and analytics. Today, I have the terrific pleasure of welcoming Ryan Sousa, Chief Data Officer of Seattle Children's Hospital, Welcome to the, the show, Ryan. Terrific to meet you. Yeah, thank you. Great to be here. Um, so so let, let's jump right in if we could. Um, you've been at Seattle Children's for about five years, but when I was preparing for the discussion, you know, I see in your background, you've had a broad range of chief technology officer, chief data officer, and, and commercial IT roles. Can you just give us kind of a brief career sketch and then tell us a bit about your organization and your, your brief as a data leader in the organization at, uh, at Seattle Children's? Yeah, sure. It's, um, yeah, my, my path has been not a very straight one, I think, over the years. I, I don't have much, I started early on my career, you know, kind of planning out my career. And, um, with, you know, I, I knew like in five years I was going to be a CIO somewhere and here was, here was the plan. And, you know, after a couple of years, I realized you kind of go where, where, where the problems are. And so I think that kind of is at the core. So, I, you know, I started out at EDS, which was Ross Perot's company uh, out of school, computer science background, and, uh, and really got into systems programming was kind of the starting point. But then as I transitioned out, I landed at a company called MCI, and probably a lot of people don't remember them, but they're one of the companies that really helped to drive divestiture at the telecom level. So the reason that we have choices now in long distance is, um, in a large part because of the work that MCI did to sort of kind of break that up. Yeah. And they were uh, they were struggling. You know, they'd come out of divestiture. They were competing with AT&T. AT&T was killing them. Uh, I happened to come in as a contractor and just stumbled into this team that was doing retention programs and, and really kind of things that were more consumer-oriented. And it was an industry that was going through a big shift, right, where it used to be about products and services. They were shifting to or organizing products and services around consumers, so all of a sudden now the consumer became the center of the universe. And then it's about, you know, how do you leverage all this massive data that we have that we're collecting in order to build personalized relationships and offer customized products and services? And so that's where I started. I just happened to stumble into this team. And, uh, and my, 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 my personality is, is very much um, everything that someone says can't be done. I want to I do it because... <laughs> I love it. I, that's it. Sometimes I, I, t I tell, I, I, I ask people, tell me what you think you can't do and we'll figure it out. So right. I, I love that. Yeah. And, and so, you know, that's probably, you know, it has been a, a driving force for me. And, and, you know, as we, we got into this, you know, we knew that, you know, uh, organizations didn't really have a picture. Like they had, they were, all the systems were, were siloed by product and service. Yeah. So first we had to build a view of consumer. That was like the early part of it. Um, and then on top of that, analytics played a role around decision support. And then also we had campaign management tools like that to sort of drive the engagement. And so that's what we did at MCI. And, and matter of fact, you know, when I left, it was, we went from nothing to driving a $5 billion revenue stream. In order to get there though, we had to get off the mainframe, leverage massively parallel technology. This was 93, we were doing predictive models. And so, so, so I began to appreciate uh, CRM as a discipline and also the power of analytics to transform an organization. Which then, you know, I stumbled into doing this for utility industry as they were going through their, you know, um, you know, divestiture related type of activity. Then as um, retail was going virtual, I ended up, you know, working working at Amazon, and so did a lot of, you know, analytics work there. Um, and so, so that has really been my progression, right? So, so where where we're, where we're where we're virtualizing, where massive volumes of data are becoming available, 
and, and we have the ability to leverage analytics to help create that, that, re, that relationship with patients and families at, um, or deliver customized products and services, like this is where I, where I like to go. So I'm very much a, a product and outcome driven type of person. I want to do things that create value. To me, technology is just a means to an end uh, at the end of the day. And so that's why I'm at Seattle Children's, right? So, you know, I, I had a good friend who was trying to fill a position there. Uh, in the process of helping him fill that position, you know, I um, got to know Seattle Children's better and what they were trying to do. It was kind of a very beginning role in the analytics space. And, you know, I started to look at it and go, wow, if we can, if we can break out of the bureaucracy, if we can actually do things more the way that a startup does things, and we can begin to leverage analytics the way that an Amazon does uh, within a healthcare system, we can really transform care. Yeah. And so, so, so everyone says can't be done. And of course, guess what I did? I dove in and, and, and gave it a try thinking, you know, 50, 50, there was a good chance in a year that we just couldn't, couldn't get it to work, but it turns out the, the organization was highly engaged. Um, they, they were willing to do things in a very different way. And as a result, we went from a very immature environment to, you know, there's a, a standard rating in healthcare called uh, HIMSS um, analytics and stage seven being the most mature analytics shop. Uh, and we're at a stage seven today as a wow. result of taking more of this startup approach and, and product and agile approach to how we do, do things within the organization. I think this will, will resonate. I'd love to hear your point of view about this. It's come up a lot in my conversation with uh, chief data officers, this idea of you know the four Vs, more data of more kinds mm -hmm. in more places. So when you look at what you've been able to do from an analytics lens, you know, refracted through driving better patient outcomes. Um, how, how important is that um, external data sourcing and sourcing data, data from a variety of, of places to driving those outcomes? And how much is um, kind of agent-based versus trad traditional replication, you know, and an important capability to drive those kind of outcomes for, for you and your team? Before I answer that real quick on the agent agent based, what what is when you say that what are, what what is what do you mean when you say that? So so this is kind of my my you know non technical shorthand. So you know in at least as I think about it in traditional EDW or in or in you know sort of modern data lake, mostly what you're doing is you're like, well, all I want to do is get the data in one place, and then I want to have some kind of standards, or I want to have a semantic layer, or I want to have fuzzy matching, and I'm gonna I'm gonna bring all that together. So what? has come up and this has been a pretty consistent theme, I want to say over you know a dozen or so CDO, CIO interviews is that um, there's a lot of interest in, in not replicating the data, but querying it in place, almost like you know, the modern version of an old of an old-fashioned RFC. So that you're, you know, you're not replicating all that data, you're not introducing integration volumes, you're not introducing a new failure point, but you're getting you know, sort of the kernels of that data based on some some tiering of data to drive the desired outcomes or the desired analytics models. Yeah, it's it's almost like the virtual data warehouse approach to doing things. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah. So let's kind of ask, kind of answer your first question. So, uh, you know, healthcare is unique. I, I you know, like we, we say we're unique, but I, I will say when it when it comes to data, uh, we we really are. So. Uh, when I came from Expedia, we we were dealing with multi-petabytes, like that was just pretty, and and we weren't even big, right? Um, so I come into healthcare, and my, you know, I, I look at us, and we're we're like twenty or thirty ter terabytes, which is like a snack, right? It's like, you know, you could do that on a laptop, 
But what I will say is you get into looking at clinical data, it's really, we don't have the volume problem, at least back then, but we have the, the variety problem, right? Where um, the, the variety of data that's out there and how you sort of have to bring it together, it's really complex. You know, and at Seattle Children's, we had, for a lot of the clinical data, we had Cerner and we had Epic. Um, so we had, you know, for a lot of the revenue cycle. And so we ended up having really kind of two EHR vendors that we had to integrate within that environment. And so that added to the complexity. So I think healthcare has like tremendous complexity when it comes to data, unlike any other industry that's out there. And, and what we're seeing now uh, within our environment is that um, it, it's the volume is starting to come into play. So, so it's like any organization, it's like picking a, a, a notable industry, say um, travel industry, like when I was at Epic, or I'm sorry, Expedia. Yeah. Booking, booking data is kind of at the core, core of your business, right? And so the volumes are, are kind of kind of big. And then in order to move up the value chain, though, you bring in the next set of data, right? Which is clickstream data, right? And then that goes way bigger, right? It, does, it doesn't just get incrementally bigger. It gets exponentially bigger. And then, of course, you get that going. And then you sort of layer in the next one, which would be, say, search data or social data. or thinking. So healthcare is a lot like that, right? So, so we started out with just a lot of the core EHR data, and we dealt with that. And now we're, we're, we're streaming data off the bedside. So now we're not only getting data like constantly, right, off the bedside, so massive volumes, we're getting wave data. So it's not just structured data anymore. We're starting to look at genomics data. Now that's starting to come into play and that's gonna bump things up. There's some discussion around social data. And so I think, you know, we started with the complexity problem or the variety problem. And now we're starting to see as the volume problem. And in terms of, you know, where's the value? I, I've always find the value comes from the data that you have as opposed to the data that you don't have, right? And so Amazon built a business um, with using only their internal data, right? They, at the time, it was very common practice to work with a lot of these you know, third parties that do data aggregation like Axiom, for example, and ex Amazon wouldn't do any of that. They said, you know what? We have more information about consumer behavior and really the, the value that we get in terms of creating a customized experience comes from that behavior data right? What we know about our, our customer. And I think healthcare is the same way. I think, you know, at the end of the day, it's, it's what you know about your patients and families that allows you to really deliver a higher value of care. And, and you can actually go after it, right? There's a lot of transactional detail out there. It's just learning how to use it. In some industries, using external data is very important, right? And, and my part of my background is actually in life sciences, but on the manufacturing side. And obviously, like, you know, life sciences manufacturers almost live and die by IMS data in, in the United States, right? But on the, you know, on the healthcare side, right, you've got everything there. So it's sort of a question of, you know, of, of bringing it together. Um, I, will, I will say, though, during the pandemic, you know, we started and, and really as we start to look at um, the impact this has had on, on who's, who's receiving care, because Seattle Children's, you know, we're really trying to reach as, as, you know, many patients and families as we can. And so demographics data now started to become useful in trying to understand who are we reaching and who are we not reaching. So as a result of the pandemic, you know, who, who was coming in and now who's not coming in, right? So that we can start to proactively go out and find out, you know, why are these kiddos? Because it's important for them to get their care. Yeah. You know, and are they not coming in because they can't afford it? Are they not coming in because their parents can't support it? You know, and so what can we do to help sort of um, sort of improve that? So demographics has been helpful to understand kind of how the, the disease has progressed and how it's impacted our patients and families. And so um, so for like situational awareness outside the walls of Seattle Children's, um, it, it can be useful for that. 
Yeah, yeah, no, that that makes sense. So maybe sticking with that with that theme, and you know, I I did want to get your your sense of so so it's a known you know kind of uh, hairy issue in healthcare the problem of data interoperability, and obviously there's PII, there's you know heavy regulatory framework. I think compared to at least some healthcare providers, it sounds like you were relatively well positioned in terms of maturity and capabilities to respond. But are there a couple of, of areas in which, you know, was, was poor data interoperability a big impact in your pandemic response? Or conversely, were there a couple of things where, you know, and it was literally a year ago today, right? You're like, thank God we did X, Y, Z, you know, in the last two years. Otherwise, we'd really be in trouble now. So I'm really interested in what, you know, in terms of, um, you know, kind of addressing baseline challenges, but also creating capabilities that are flexible to respond to this kind of black swan event, you know, what's your, what's your read on that a year out? Yeah. I mean, it's a really good question. I've thought about this quite a bit. So, you know, five years ago when we started on this journey, we, 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 um, data was all over the place, right? So, so basically state of the art for us at Seattle Children's was hire an analyst, give them Tableau and set them loose. And, <laughs> yeah, and so, I've heard of that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and so, so, and, and by the way, this is not unique to healthcare and it's not no, 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 children's, no. it's u- no. unique to everybody. Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, and actually, when, when I did the assessment, when I came in, I told the leadership team, this is a good thing, right? To have 40 different groups all doing their own thing, having their own reporting database, because the organization obviously is at a point where they're starting to appreciate the value of what they get from it. The problem is there is no single version of truth. Yeah, yeah. And so as we, we, we've been, you know, our approach has been very um, results driven. And so we're, we're, every time we do any work, anytime we, we, we go after a project or whatever, it really has some impact on the business. But as part of that, one of the things we've done is we've continued to a little bit at a time with each implementation, improve on creating a single version of the truth. So by the time the pandemic rolled around, we actually had that in place. So we didn't have to worry about creating a single version of the truth because we had it. Really, we could now just focus on then what do we need as an organization to create situational awareness internally, right? Uh, to help us understand you know, what patients have it, how did they get it? Um, who's getting the training they need in order to, to do um, you know, um, things properly in, in response? Um, how's the workforce doing? Um, there are all these things that we're able to sort of quickly build on because that single version of truth was already in place. And uh, as an organization, we had zero appreciation for it. We were so focused on solving the problem related to the pandemic. They didn't realize that it was, the reason things were going so fast was because the foundation was there. Yeah, no, that's that's key. And if, if you're able to share this, when the single source of truth, I infer from what you said that you kind of built that separately. So it's outside your core your core operational systems, but it's connected to them and connects the data across them? It is, yeah. So it started out, you know, we call it Zeus. It started out as um, we leveraged Natiza as sort of the platform, so our relational database. Then as time went on and we started bringing in larger sets of data and had um, more data science work that we were doing, we basically paired that up with uh, a Hadoop environment, so our, you know, kind of your traditional data lake. Uh, And we've also built out a high-performance compute component and those three things actually all work together as our data platform uh, for the organization. And so, um, and so there's just one semantic model really for all, all three of those components. 
The idea of a unified data platform, I think if I can distill out another key takeaway, that's critical. And, and what I've observed, like, you know, organizations like yourself that have one done, gone through a big step change and then also made it to a high maturity level. In my view, almost nobody does that without having some kind of a unified data platform. So the, the technology piece, uh, you know, pun intended, totally computes. What about what about the, the process and the people piece of it in terms of you know who owns that and it was part of your five year transformation setting up uh, you know data operations or data engineering operations to make sure that everything gets kind of the right care and feeding and that people know who's supposed to be doing what we did you know so one of the things that we did very very early on is because. Um, in order to do this, you know, if you're if you're going to do it, you are, you really want to start out with a relational database that is is massively parallel, yeah. right? Because what you want to do is you don't want to be coming back two years later and saying, okay, we have to do a big forklift move because we can't scale, right? Yeah. Yeah. And so so so, but to do that, you need different skills than most IT shops will typically have. Um, and so what we ended up doing is forming a DevOps function. Um, we basically took some of our engineering talent and we repurposed it to be a DevOps function. Um, and what they did is then brought in this um, novel technology to support analytics and so, so and manage uh, that, that on behalf of the teams that are doing the product development work. And so to me, building out that DevOps function, and I think, you know, data ops has gotten to be a, a, a kind of a, a more popular way to frame it within the analytics space these days, I think is, is foundational. If you have to give up engineers in order to get that going, or you have to give up analysts to get that going, that is investment that will pay off because it helps then all the other data engineers and data analysts and data scientists work faster and get more done. And so, uh, so that's one of the things we did early on and that team continues to exist uh, today. Yeah, that's, that's, I, I love that. And, and I think you're, I, my thinking has, has evolved on this a bit. I'll say in particular over the last year is this, you know, this idea of data ops has kind of become more, more mainstream and people start to understand what it is and how my metaphor for it is sort of like, if you have, like everyone has traditional DevOps, like every, you know, capable IT shop. If you have DevOps with no data ops or no data ops analog, what you're doing is you're building containers with the wrong contents more quickly. So yeah. you really need both. You need the container and you need the contents and the interoperability. And, and, I, and I, I think it's very, you know, again, sort of maybe third key takeaway for the audience. Don't, don't be too clingy with your engineers. If you need to have them do, you know, data engineering or data ops to get that function up and running, you know, that's, uh, that's a good investment as well. Yeah, and we actually, we, we ended up um, going to outside industry um, and brought in people from Amazon and Expedia, and, uh, you know, to sort of help round the team out. Uh, because they bring a lot of those skills with them, right? Um, and so, and so that's why I say it was such a foundational piece. Uh, and so we ended up with a lot of diversity on that team, a lot of healthcare experience along with outside industry experience. I, I love that, and I think when I've when I've done you know change programs both on the industry side and then on the management consulting side, I think that blend of you know people who know, but then bringing people who know nothing about the industry because they're not, you know, they're not burdened with all those millstones yeah. around their neck of, oh, like that's impossible. We can't do that. They just bring a completely different lens to it. Yeah. Um, like one of the things I love about this conversation is it's sort of like, well, the more things change, the more they stay the same, right? So yeah. MCI, you know, but 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 things do change at the same time. So any any parting thoughts for us on on uh, in that dimension? Yeah, I've been thinking about this a lot. I think it's actually a super exciting time because as Stephen Jobs used to always talk about, he says, you know, it's hard to connect the dots going forward. You can yeah. only connect them going back. And, and, and it's never been more true than, than in healthcare today. 
Uh, so, so I would say these are the things that that I, I, I pay a lot of attention to. So, so we're shifting to a virtual first, right? Like there was a time in our industry we talked a lot about mobile first. Right now, yeah. virtual first is is where it's at, right? Like people are shifting, and if you're not going there first when you take a look at a, a new service that you want to introduce, um, you're 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 not going to compete in in the market. So, virtual first is is going to is is really playing out, and you see it taking many forms. There's new startups that call like Heal is one of the startups that's out there today. They're like a virtual PCP, right? And uh, and there's going to be a bunch of those you're going to see popping up all over the place. I think um, Rock Health said there was like 14 billion dumped into uh, digital health last year, yeah. largest year ever uh, from an investment perspective. Yeah, this sense. year is going to make last year look small. It's it's probably trending to be somewhere closer to 20 billion this year. So there's going to be a lot of things that you don't see today. All of a sudden are going to pop up. So virtual first is driving that. Uh, you see other players jumping in, like Amazon Care. Last week made some big announcements. CVS Health, and so like what what does this virtual care? What does this mean to the industry? And who's going to play a role? And who's going to own that relationship with the consumer? Because in some ways, I, I I try to be a little controversial here when I say this, which is you know healthcare is going retail, right? Um, yeah, in in yeah, a lot yeah. of ways, yeah. you know, and. Um, so, so, so there's that, that that I pay a lot of attention to. Uh, interoperability and data aggregation is the other thing I think you have to pay attention to. And I don't think those two things are separate. But um, if you want to be a destination center, let's say you offer tertiary and quaternary care. I mean, some of the diseases that you're dealing with, you don't have enough data as a system to really do granular phenotyping, right, At the using genetic data because uh, you just don't have enough of it. So machine learning tools can't find the signal. So what you need to do is combine your data with other data right, so that you can do those things. And that helps to improve the protocols and the effectiveness of the protocols and ultimately outcomes. And so these aggregators now are starting to come into play um, where they're bringing data together supported by this shift towards interoperability. And so a good example is Truveta, um, maybe three or four weeks ago showed up. 14 providers have come together and they're gonna create this um, de-identified repository that can be used to, to really be leading destination centers. So I think that's something I pay really close attention to. And those are going to shape the landscape. Yeah. Well, and, and, and uh, you know, what I love about those comments, so I always, uh, I've had this theory now for uh, probably about five years that like, I love the digital thing and I love the technical thing, but sometimes it's a, it's a mystification, right? And, and what, in my view, where, where digital's had really big impacts actually comes down to the fundamental, fundamental microeconomics of industry structure and industry competitiveness. And I, all the examples that you just shared, like healthcare going retail, that's a change in industry dynamics. Now, digital is clearly an accelerator to it, but you know, it, it isn't magic. And like looking at those dynamics, and I think you know the other point, sort of the the rise of different kinds of information capital, which really is a new kind of capital that's different than financial capital. And very interesting, I, I did realize there was a lot of um, you know kind of a big investment spike, but uh, twenty billion dollars—that's uh, that's significant. That's definitely something to to look out for. So, so anyone quote- listening who's got a healthcare startup idea, you know, you know, you know where it's all first. <laughs> So just, a, you know, one, one closing thought, you know, as, as you look at this too, you know, we, we talk a little bit about, you know, you're talking about, you know, the data side of things. Um, when Amazon, one of the things we realized at Amazon when it went virtual is that we knew so much more, you know, at the yeah. brick and mortar at the time, because it wasn't virtual, all they really knew is what you bought, what was in your shopping cart, right? The minute that all became virtual, guess what? We knew when you walked in the door, we knew what you were looking at, where you went, what you touched. All of a sudden, 
that entire experience that led up to the purchase at the end, we knew about. And that information became invaluable in terms of figuring out what do consumers want? How do we need to organize the environment? Um, you know, how do we convert more people, right? So how do we create more um, a more tailored experience? All of those things were a product of things becoming virtual. So now as we started to think about healthcare going in that direction and, this, and things becoming more virtual first, what do you now have available to you that allows you to create a better experience, produce better outcomes for patients, um, you know, because you're going to have that now. Um, so I, I think that's something to, to ponder, right? And, 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 you know, the thing that's going to be interesting is that the data volumes are going to be massive compared to what we're used to. Yeah, and so yeah. all of a sudden, the technologies we're going to have to explore in order to support and do analysis is going to be the bar goes way up. And data science is going to be fundamental. And if you're not, like, reporting in two or three years, if that is something that you're like in two, we, we, two years, we won't be talking about reporting anymore at Seattle Children's. More and more of our effort is shifting towards predictive as opposed to retrospective. Yeah. And so, yeah. Um, so those things are going to be fundamental to respond and, and make the most of this in delivering better outcomes and, and better experience for patients. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, that's a great point about predictive. And all that, also a great point, all that behavioral data, right? Because when you go virtual and yeah, you've got, you know, and, and those can be tailored and tailored to specific kinds of, patient demographics and, you know, outcomes. Yeah. Awesome. Good. Well, um, Ryan, thank you so much. I really enjoyed our, our talk today. Appreciate you, uh, you coming on and, and, you know, great, great insights that you shared. Thank you so much. Yeah, I enjoy it. I, I really enjoyed this time with you as well, Chris. Thank you so much. Absolutely. Uh, again, my, my guest today has been uh, Ryan Sousa, Chief Data Officer of Seattle Children's Hospital. And uh, thanks again for joining me today and uh, hope you have a great rest of the day.